sacrifice. So I have a very moving video right now that I'd like to show you, and uh, then we'll pick up with Haggai 1, 1 through 4. Dear Dad, after all these years, I've never stopped writing. I still remember many of the letters I've written you and the moments I wish you could have seen. Dear Daddy, I'm sad you had to leave, but I'm trying real hard to remember that you told me you'll always love me and to write you all the time. I didn't want you to go, but you pulled me close and hugged me tight and you said that some things are worth fighting for. Dear Daddy, I learned how to roller skate today. You'd be so proud. I fell down sometimes and skinned my knees, so I tried again and again. I was brave just like you. Hey Dad, sorry I haven't ridden in a while. I'm 14 today, can you believe it? Don't worry though, no boyfriends. Mom and I are doing well. Sometimes we get lonely, but it's not too bad. Dear Dad, high school graduation. I really wish you were here today. College is just around the corner. I'm staying close to home though. I figured you'd want me to help keep an eye on Mom. Dear Dad, today I married the man of my dreams. He reminds me of you. He's gentle yet strong. He loves serving me, and he can make me laugh all the time, just like you could. Granddaddy went ahead and walked me down the aisle, said that you'd be proud of me. It was a wonderful day seeing so many friends. We talked about you a lot and how we wished you were here. Oh, Daddy, I love coming to visit you. This time, I brought someone else, your granddaughter. I tell her about you all the time. We talk about the letters I write you and that maybe she can write you too someday. Yesterday, she told me she'd love to meet you. So I pulled her close, hugged her tight, and told her about how some things in this world are worth fighting for, even dying for. Love always, your daughter. that we can never forget the sacrifices that were made so that we could come here and worship freely because of those that gave their lives. If you have your Bibles, join me, please, in Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It's been, it's been a couple of years. I went back and looked at uh, sermons and it's, it's been a couple of years since I preached through a book, and I figured I'd go back and, and look at Haggai. Um, I guess the reason is Haggai is really a challenging book. And it's, if you've, you can probably read it this afternoon, 
It's only two chapters long. Um, but anyway, it's a very challenging book. And let's go ahead. If, if you love history, you're going to love this, at least the first half. The prophet Haggai, his name means Festival of Yahweh, maybe no connection at all to uh, the book itself. No genealogy. There's no genealogy on Haggai, not anything that we know of. Uh, Post-exilic prophet, what's, what that means is there's the, and we're going to get into this in detail, uh, the Babylonian captivity, and then they were released. So any prophet that wrote past that was a post-exilic uh, prophet. His contemporaries were uh, Zechariah and Malachi. Also, the, it was written from Jerusalem. Uh, another thing about Haggai, uh, he was a strong leader. Uh, he was vocally strong with the nation of Israel. But at the same time, Haggai was also an encourager, and he was also sympathetic. So as we unpack these first few chapters, or first chapter here, you're, you're going to see the strong side, but also the sensitive side or the encouraging side of Haggai. Now, there's a date you need to know. And as I'm studying this, I go, what? October 12th. Rosemary, you know October 12th. I know October 12th. Uh, we were both born again on that day. And when I saw this, I go, wow, that's my spiritual birthday. And I thought of you instantly. thought of Rosemary. Yeah, yours a little bit longer than mine, but that's, we're still saved, right? October 12th. There's it's going to be a group of us, October 12th, walking into the kingdom. Yeah, 40. Yeah, we're up. Uh, we need to, Rosemary, we need to go out and celebrate October 12th. Go to some place to eat anyway. October 12th, 539 B.C. That's an important day in the nation of Israel. And this is the reason why Cyrus the Great, the Persian army, attacks Babylon. And the result of that attack was that Cyrus defeats the Babylonian army and brings an end to the Babylonian army and their empire. Uh, what happens next is even more important. Cyrus frees the Jews and allows them to return to Jerusalem. So here you have, I believe, the hand of God, because he's going to mention the hand here in a minute. Uh, that really is amazing. I believe that God used the Babylonian army to bring Israel into captivity, and I also believe that God used the Persian army to take them out of captivity. So here within the book of Haggai, you see the hand of God. Now, let's look, first of all, the word of the Lord, and we're going to look at the date. It was in the second year of Darius the king. Now, Darius, and by the way, Israel did not have a king for 70 plus years. So probably why Haggai includes Darius. Darius was the king of Persia. He was the one that liberated uh, the Israelites. He ruled from 522 so when it's in the second year, it would be 520, roughly is when this was written. So he ruled for quite a few years 
40-something years, a long time. First three years, he was putting down rebellions. That was common. When a new king came to power, there was always some type of internal strife or didn't like that king or wanted that king out of there. So for three years, the king of Persia uh, is trying to squelch, put down this rebellion. He divided the empire into 20 sections. And in a minute, you'll see the entirety of the empire. So 20 sections. He was a great administrator, by the way. He could look at a situation, uh, King Darius, he could look at the situation, and he could determine, okay, this is what needs to be fixed. And uh, this is under Haggai's ministry. He installed a tax system. And it was actually quite fair. Um, he even had what I would call IRS agents. We love those guys, right? Everybody loves the IRS. Yeah, anyway. But it was a fair system. And what he did was he sent these messengers out to make sure that the taxes were being collected, but also that they were being collected fairly. So he installed this tax system. He began massive building projects all throughout his empire. That was good for the local economy, by the way. He was sympathetic to the Jewish people. There was a religion in Persia, but he was open to all religions. He didn't persecute. In fact, he said, you Jews, go back home. This is over. And you can see the hand of God here. Now, this all takes place, by the way, let me show you the empire. So it starts way over by India and it sweeps through all the way over to Asia Minor down to Egypt, parts of Egypt, up to Thrace, near the Black Sea. All this area was the Persian Empire. It was massive. Babylon was no longer the world power at this time. It was Persia. Quite remarkable. And when we think about Alexander the Great, who uh, also had a, an important part in the New Testament. This is one of the largest landmass collections that there has ever been, the Persian army. And they were really massive. But again, they were friendly to Israel. So in the sixth month, the sixth month on the first day of the month, so let's count it. You got January, February, March, April, May, June, sixth month, June 1st. Unfortunately, that's not how they counted it. And I read many scholars, and they all came up with this date. August 29th, 520 B.C. So we now have the region in which this king ruled. It was in the second year of his reign, so about 520. And it was on August 29th. So this is the day August 29th, 520 B.C. is when our text is going to unfold. Now, the word of the Lord, this is fascinating in and of itself. And I could probably preach 30 minutes just on this, but I, I realize time's short. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Deval is the word for word. And that word means spoken. 
spoken, to speak, devout, to speak. So what's happening here is that God is speaking directly to Haggai. This is a verbal communication from God to Haggai. It wasn't like in his head. This was actual spoken to Haggai. Another interesting phrase here is the word yod, which is hand. It is only used two times in the prophetic writings from the Old Testament, twice, and they're both right here. Now, the word hand or yod refers to, uh, and it's very specific, it refers to God speaking the word, Haggai putting it in his hand, acknowledging the message from God, and holding on to the message of God with the intent of writing the message of God. So Haggai not only heard the word, he accepted the word, he held it tight, and he wrote it down for us. That's amazing. And this only happens here. So what takes place in Haggai is extremely, extremely important. Now, this word of the Lord that came to Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel... And Shiltal, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Again, if you like history, you're going to love this. Zerubbabel, say that fast three times. Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Anyway, his name means seed of Babylon. Nobody really knows why. Maybe it was because they lived in Babylon so long that they adopted that name. Shittile, meaning the grandson of King Jehoiakim. That's in 597. When this king went into Babylonian captivity. Now, Shittile was the adopted, who adopted Zerubbabel as his son. Here's the deal. Zerubbabel's real father died. Shetile was his uncle who adopted him. And Haggai writes that that was his father. It was uh, much like my stepfather. He became my dad because he was with me and through my formative years. So his uncle actually steps up. And if you go and you read Matthew 1.12 and Luke 3.27, you'll find that that also verifies that, yes, uh, that's his father, but technically it was his uncle. So, Zerubbabel was the governor of Judah. Now we come to one that is equally important, and that is Joshua. You ready for this name? Yeshua. You know what Yeshua is? Translates Jesus. That's fascinating. I know when you first look at that word Joshua, you think Joshua who took the nation of Israel. No, it's a later Joshua. His name means Jesus. And of course, being the name of Jesus, he has, uh, by, by the way, his father also was carried into captivity, uh, captivity back when all this started. So Israel had been in captivity since about 587 590 depending on who you read and they all went into captivity oh yeah Yeshua was a high priest 
What is Jesus in the New Testament? He is our high priest. Yeah, this was a lot of study, folks. <laughs> Just uh, cut it right. Persian period, religious freedom. If you didn't worship the way the Persians did, it was all right. You could worship your God as you saw fit. It was really an ideal time for the prophet Haggai to come on the scene. Because not too many, well, 400 and some odd years, we would get to the New Testament. But this is preparation for the New Testament. However, you have an issue here. And it's God's issue with the nation of Israel. There's a denunciation. Now, we look at this denunciation here. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Shavah. Of course, Yodehave, Lord, is the one true ruler, the God. But this word host is Shavah. It's used 300 times in the Old Testament. 247 of those times it's mentioned in the prophetic books. And it's mentioned 14 times in Haggai. Now, this is what's so fascinating. Why I like studying words and why I like digging in and, and learning about them, it refers to a military army. It has two branches. It can either refer to an angelic army or a physical army. So when God took the Babylonians and defeated Israel, he brought them into captivity. Then he said, okay, that's enough, and now I'm bringing the Persian army, and they're going to release my people. Listen, listen, God is in control. God is in control of armies, he's in control of this world, and God has a plan which he will bring to fulfillment someday. And it's easy in the crazy, mixed-up world in which we live today, it is easy to go, where is God? But there's always a plan. God has a plan. Now notice, when he says, thus says the Lord of hosts, it's force behind this command. It, you're talking about the God who controls armies, controls climate, controls everything, controls uh, everything that happens in our lives. This gives it force for Haggai. Here's a big problem. Listen to the next words. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. This right here shows that there was a major problem. Notice what Haggai did not write. Haggai did not write, my people say. Haggai wrote, these people say. So God was not in a great relationship with the nation of Israel, and Israel was not in a great relationship with God, even though God had freed them from captivity. So the main point was the time has not come to rebuild. This doesn't suggest that the people won't build the temple, but it does suggest the time's not now. Resources were small, much like our church. We have small resources. Uh, so maybe now is not the time to really grow the church. Haggai had the same issue on his hand with the nation of Israel. 
Taylor and Clendon wrote this, in view of the prophet, it was not apathy or selfishness that had caused the delay in this important project. It was very important. They would eventually go around to restoring the temple. It was a question of timing. According to them, the time was not yet right for rebuilding of the temple. The temple would indeed be rebuilt, but not now. It's just not a good time. It's not something that we feel like we need to do. However, when God says these people say the time has not yet come, let me ask you a question. In Israel, where did God live? He dwelled in the temple. It was important. And the nation of Israel had 20, 25 years, had just gone home and done nothing on the temple. And so God says, Haggai, yes, Lord, this is what I want you to say to the nation of Israel. Thus says the Lord. Fourteen times, I believe, in two chapters. Thus, 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 thus says the Lord. So here you have an issue where the nation of Israel has gone to their homes. The first thing that they focused on was their homes. Uh, I remember years ago when we would go to the field, and I was in the army. I do this. I know every Sunday probably. That's all right. But it kind of fits. We would be in the field 40, 49 days. They wouldn't keep us 50 days because they have to pay us TDY pay. So they would bring us back. So mostly our field training exercise lasted 45, 47 days. We would come back home and have to turn everything around. So we would get in at, I don't know, midnight because the Germans wouldn't let us go during the day because we had tanks, we had all this... We get back to the unit at one in the morning, and I had to tell my guys the first thing you got to do is turn. You got to clean your weapon. You got to turn in your mask, and then tomorrow morning be back here at oh six hundred hours. They would go home. It was inevitable. Saturday, guys would be coming in like this after forty nine days, and I said, "Okay, this is the deal. When all of this is done and the company commander has signed off on it." you can go home. And usually the company commander would give us three, four days off. He would task us and we would say, okay, we're going to give you three or four days off. Well, what happened here was that when the people were released, they went home. And the temple, which was ransacked and decimated by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, which we'll get into in a minute, was in rubble and they went home and they started their lives again. They had forgot the Redeemer who had taken them out of captivity. They forgot that they forgot God. Now let me ask you a question here this morning. Why is not the church, why is our church important? Yeah. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you some of my thoughts. First of all, it's a place where we worship God. If we worship God here, how many of you believe God is hearing my voice right now today? Everybody. God is right here, right now. This is, a, oops. this is the place where we come to worship Him. 
That should be a priority. Worship should be a priority. Secondly, it's a place of community. It's a place where we live together, where we grow together. It's, it's a place where we are the brotherhood of Christ. Thirdly, it's a place where ministry is done. By the way, we're going to start our door hanging ministry again. It's time. I, I came under conviction myself as I was going through this. It's a place where people find Christ and salvation. Now they can find it out there basically because you guys and gals go out and you share the gospel with people that you come into. But sometimes people come in, they hear a sermon or they, a song hits them and they come for it at the end of the service and they trust in Christ. I love those times. I love those times. It's also a place where we learn about our faith. We learn about our faith through Sunday school, through the preaching, uh, anything that we have going on, we learn about our faith. Let me ask you a question this morning. How important is First Baptist Church Tolono to you? It's important. The world says what I do on Sunday morning is foolishness. But this is very, very, very important. I know, I stand up here and I scream for 30 minutes, we all go home, people, you know, uh, but it is important. It's important not only to hear the word of God, but it's important to live in community. This should be a priority in our lives. There's so many things in this world that takes us away from our priority. You know, the church back... I even remember times uh, when I was a young pastor when the church had a much more uh, importance in, in the community. It's lost that now. I have this to do. Kids are in soccer. All of these things. And so it's easy to get caught in that trap. And Haggai says, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say it's not time to rebuild the temple. Hey guys, you've been home a while. You've been home a while, 20, 25 years. And what Haggai did was he challenged priorities. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai. The word of the Lord spoke to Haggai. He took that message in his hand. He held it, and then he wrote it. He also spoke it. A question. The question is this. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses? Now, a couple of things here. Et is the word for time, and that refer, can refer to a passing of time. It can refer to seasons or the right time. Most scholars say the right time. This word dwell, yeshav, is an interesting word too. It has, it's a qual verb. It means nothing to you all, but it does to me. Uh, this, this qual verb has four stems. And I'm going to go from uh, ascending order here. It, the word can mean meet or to come near a place. That's the first of the stems. A second stem is a crouch. You say, Pastor Mike, what is a crouch? It's a four-footed animal. So... 
when he says, is it time for you to dwell? Certainly he's not talking about sitting on a four-footed animal. You can push that to the side. But to come near a place, that's interesting. Another one, it can mean to be seated or to sit. Now we're getting closer. And possibly that's one of the ones that he might have been thinking of. The last one is to stay in place. So you have to come near a four-footed animal, to sit, or to come and abide. So what had happened is these, the word paneled there refers to roof. So not only did these people come home, but they had time to set up house. They had time to get their roofs put back on. They had time for all of this. And yet, in Jerusalem, the Holy of Holies is decimated. This is a got you question. Is it time that you dwell in paneled houses? And again, depending on which scholar you read, 20, 25 years, by the time this came along in the second year of King Darius, what had gotten the people was, and it's amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. You would think, this is just my thinking out loud, you would think that after 70 plus years of captivity, when they got released, they would be praising God and immediately say, let's rebuild this temple. No, they forgot the hand that delivered them. And I think sometimes in our own lives, after one sermon years ago, some woman in our church said, well, pastor, that was uh, pack your bags, we're going on a guilt trip sermon. But what needs to be done here? What needs to be done at our church? I think Dave Walker once told me, Dave, how many jobs did we have here? Do you, do you remember? How many? 117 jobs. And we have people working here. How many? 50-some people to fill those 117 slots. We have jobs open for you guys and gals. And Haggai said, look, should you be in your homes right now while God's temple is in ruins? That's a good question, right? That made Haggai very popular. Can you, that's why he said, it's something when you know God spoke to you about something and you have to preach it, no matter if your polling's going to go down the tubes, like maybe 20% of the people are actually going to like you for saying it. And those 20% are probably real go-getters. Peter Williams, too many Christians are content with a flabby, laid-back kind of Christianity and do not give sufficient importance to the place of the will in the spiritual life. 
If we want to get our Christian life together, then we have to bring the will into action and put some sort of effort and determination into it. When it came to building their own houses, this is excellent, the people of Judah were extremely active and showed plenty of determination and willpower. I love sports. And when the Braves won the World Series last year, you probably wouldn't even recognize me. Going around the house, beating my chest, going, I was all excited, right? You guys get excited about all kinds of stuff. A lot of sports. And what God impressed upon me to say was this. Take that same enthusiasm, Pastor Mike, and apply it to life with me. Take the enthusiasm. Yeah, they got back and they said, let's start building our house. And by the way, God will hold you off for a little bit. The time's not right. You know, we, we, we still got all this. We've got kids in school. We've got all this stuff going on. But God, someday, it's the cats in the cradle playing, right? Someday. Unfortunately, someday really never comes. And the big problem that Haggai faced was in 4b. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses? You've set up your house. You've got the electric range. They didn't have electric ranges. Just making that up. You got your garage, your, your four-car garage. You got all this stuff. That sounds like a country and western song, by the way. You all know what you get when you play a country and western song backwards, right? You get your house back, your wife back, your dog back. Is it time for you to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? He calls it the house of God. Of course it's the house of God because God dwells in the holy of holies. Let me refresh us. Nebuchadnezzar, 587 B.C., his target Judah. More in particular, Jerusalem. I honestly believe in my heart that the nation of Israel had erred, and God said, okay, you've erred. I'm going to raise up an army, the Lord of hosts, the one that has the angelic and physical armies, I'm going to raise up an army and they are going to defeat you and they are going to take you into captivity. And so what happened is King Nebuchadnezzar went down and just shredded right through. All because the people, as I understand this, had forgotten God. July 9th, 587 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar surrounds the city. It would take a year. This is what happened during that year. God's holy temple. Listen to this. So Nebuchadnezzar surrounds the city of Jerusalem. He blockades the city. And this is what happens. No food. 
no water for a year Nebuchadnezzar waits it out plagues start to set in there's no water you can't shower you can't take a bath and then the most despicable thing happens cannibalism takes place Nebuchadnezzar says have you guys had enough and then goes in destroys it and by the way I did some I did some history a lot of history this week I feel like I should be teaching a class or something on the history of this facts about Jerusalem pray for Jesus said pray for peace in Jerusalem pray for it facts it has been destroyed twice it has been besieged 23 times it has been attacked 52 times it has been captured 44 times in history and I think it's all because they always seem to forget God now there's a besieging taking place in your homes you need to push that stuff out and the way that you push that stuff out is saying God you are going to be my priority and when that happens at that point God begins to control your life and wonderful things happen it, there's, I don't know to me when you're in a right relationship with God it's the best thing there is and many of you know what that is many of you have that good relationship but I think about the nation of Israel what were they thinking when they were surrounded and for a year they, King Nebuchadnezzar just waited them out and all of that stuff took place I wonder I just wonder if somebody a high priest or somebody that was in that city at that time says you know what we need to repent and God will raise up an army and push them out see that's the wonderful thing about God God is always available if you've made it if you've made a mistake if you sinned if you stumbled tell him about it God's willing to forgive you and and maybe today recommit to this church you're not recommitting to me I'm just a preacher you're committing yourselves to God for this church set this church as a priority again pastors come and go God stays and so you need to commit yourselves to him not to me this is not about let's go support pastor Mike this is about let's go support God because that's who we are and I know most of you in here you do that already so make this a priority in, in your life. And that leads me to this. What are your priorities? I don't know your priorities. I don't know what they are. I, I don't go in your homes and go, gee, this is not a right priority. I don't do that. But you need to ask the question, what are my priorities? What is the most important thing in my life? For me, sound like Joshua, the Old Testament one, but me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? That's a priority. 
like I said, it's something you guys and gals have to work through to determine, should I be at church every Sunday? Should I be involved in the life of the church weekly? You know, back in the day, they used to meet every day. We can't do that anymore. We meet on Wednesdays. Praise team meets 530, right? Practice. So let me encourage you to rethink your priorities. If you're not a member of the church, I would encourage you to become a member of the church. And those of you that may have to stay home today for whatever reasons, uh, and you come here and you've never joined a church, join this one. The word of God is preached. We have good deacons. We have good Sunday school classes. We have good people here. This is a good church. But you need to join the church. I just think that you need to be where God's people are. That's my personal opinion. Um, so the word of the Lord challenged the priorities, and hopefully it challenged us today.